Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to The Catch with John Fisher on Blog Talk Radio, connecting life to faith. We're just trying to get it together, trying to help their fellow men, hoping we can make Yes, we do think we can, uh, not by ourselves, but as we continue to remind you by the Holy Spirit who lives in us, uh, we can make a difference in the world. And uh, that's why we love to do Blog Talk Radio, The Catch, with you every week and remind you about various ways in which we can do that and various ways of thinking Uh, Especially, how do we think about the world as Christians is uh, one of the main things we uh, like to do on this show. And uh, uh, tonight, our guest is someone who is um, uh, someone who does that better than just about anybody I know. He's been thinking about faith and culture pretty much his entire career. He's written a number of books on it. He has interviewed many, many authors, both uh, Christian and non-Christian, and uh, that's how I first met him. As a matter of fact, um, he was interviewing me for one of my books, and the first thing that just completely floored me was that I think he was the first person I'd encountered on doing book interviews who had actually read my book, and uh, I, I could tell that by the by the questions he was asking me, and uh, and so uh, that set us on to some uh, a lot of extraneous uh, conversations and and uh, sharing of of people that we liked and authors that we liked, and uh, you know we just uh, we hit it off uh, from the beginning. And uh, Dick has had an incredible career working, uh, as I say in radio and then uh as a pastor and then also um he's done a lot of special very special work uh we'll probably have to have him on another show to talk about this one the work he's done with artists and christian artists in the christian world um and uh um that's a whole nother topic um that'll take uh, uh another time we'll we'll do that but tonight Tonight, we're very excited about, uh, I am, about talking because of the upcoming election, um, about, we're talking about Christians and culture. We're going to talk about Christians in the political environment that we live right now. We're not going to talk about right and left. We're going to talk about how do we as Christians navigate in this incredibly polarized world And it's a world where a lot of Christians have made a very clear demarcation on one side or another, and that can create problems uh, for uh, a lot of us, and uh, we're wondering, how do we deal with this? And uh, I got wind of a a talk that uh, Dick gave recently 
on this subject, and I said, could you please share uh, this some of this information with our people because I think we really need it right now. So very excited to have uh, as our guest uh, Dick Staub. Dick, welcome to the catch on Blog Talk Radio. Thank you, John. It's great to hear your voice. Great to be with you. You know, I actually I met you actually the first time. It would have been in the late 60s. I think you were probably at Peninsula Bible Church in Palo Alto. And I knew your music, and and I heard you give a talk somewhere in this, in, in during that time period. I remember that very very vaguely. But I've always had a tremendous amount of respect for you and the work that you've done. And have you seen Jesus, yeah. my Lord? Actually, yeah. it, it kind of was pivotal for me because, as you know, it was really mm-hmm. during the '60s that the things we're going to talk about came into focus for me. I I kind of. Um, I was raised in a Christian home, but it had not taken with me. I, for Mm. a variety of reasons, which we don't have time to get into, uh, one of the primary ones, when I was 10 years old, my brother was born with severe brain damage. Uh, He was unable to walk or talk, and and it it really raised serious questions in my mind about who God is and whether this faith really meant anything. My father, as I said, was a pastor. Uh, So it wasn't until I was in college in the 60s in San Francisco in the midst of a cultural revolution that I really came to grips with who Jesus was. And it happened at a time not unlike this, a very volatile time. You know, people that are younger think that this is the absolute worst it's ever been. Of course, none of us lived through the Civil War, which was as divided as this country's ever been. But the Vietnam War years were very divisive, very polarized populations. Uh, assassination of JFK, Martin Luther King Jr., four students killed at Kent State. And I just found myself kind of at the end of myself and asking myself, you know, where do I go from here? Where do I turn? And my grandmother suggested that I read the Gospels. And I sat down and read the Gospels for the first time straight through all four Gospels, absolutely was captivated with Jesus. And I think Jesus... As you know from from what I think about our current dilemma in this current culture war, I think returning to Jesus, who he is, what he taught, is the key to finding our way out of the polarization that we find ourselves in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's start there, uh, Dick. Um, how does... What would what does Jesus say, or how how can you tell um, how Jesus helped your thinking in in this whole area of of uh, well, I think for me, yeah, the key the key for me in the '60s was I uh, really coming to understand that Jesus was a critical both of religion and culture in his day. And that to truly follow Jesus means to march to the beat of a different drummer. And so thinking of yourself as countercultural from my standpoint involves being counter both to both culture and counter to the religious culture, a subculture in which we find ourselves. Mm. So I've always found going back to the gospels in times like these is the key. And, and I did a study of Mark chapter 12, and it's a chapter where Jesus tells five stories 
all of them have to do with a critique of the religious political structures of his day. And uh, when I looked at that, I saw these different principles that emerged. I mean, one of them, for instance, is that Jesus is our only sure foundation. Um, He tells a story that ends with the punchline, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And Jesus is telling all the religious leaders of the day that they've all got it wrong and that they haven't recognized who he is. He is the absolute foundation. And when in doubt, don't turn to religious or political leaders. Look to Jesus to be your guide. And, hmm. and so when we're in the midst of a political environment like this, I need to spend less time listening to politicians and even religious leaders who today, many of them are very, very actively and outspoken about mm-hmm. faith, and I need to think about what Jesus actually teaches, and, and that kind of led me to the second story in Mark 12, where Jesus is asked what he thinks about paying taxes, and he asks for a coin, and he asks whose picture is on it, and it's Caesar, and then he says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, to God the things that are God's, and, and the principle there is that our obligations to God and government are separate and not equal. Mm. <laughs> You know, in the story, by separating religion and government, Jesus brings all the rest of his teaching into focus. He reminds us that, that, you know, we're supposed to seek first the kingdom of God. We're supposed to be careful that we don't gain the world and lose our soul. Jesus' teaching taught us that God's kingdom on earth is going to come through spiritual transformation, not through political transformation. And that ultimately... God, not government, is our ultimate priority. He's not saying that we don't have an obligation to government. He's saying we do have an obligation to government. And certainly in a democratic republic, we're so privileged to be able to be active participants in advocating our viewpoints, in electing the people that we want to represent us, in becoming actively involved in politics ourselves. So I'm not in any sense saying that we should not be involved in the political arena. I'm yeah. saying that what is happening today is many people are putting more faith in their political process than they are in the spiritual transformation of our country. And hmm. believe me, we can't legislate people into changing hearts and minds. I mean, that hearts and minds, as you said at the beginning of the show, comes from hmm. the work of the Holy Spirit in a person's life. And yeah. that's what Jesus is most concerned about. I mean, he doesn't want us to impose our views on this culture any more than he wanted the Romans to impose their view on the Jewish culture of his day, you know? Uh, So learning to separate what belongs to Caesar and what belongs to God is a very important principle. So do you think that uh, as Christians, we've uh, gotten off track here and gotten too closely identified uh, politically? Well, I think, you know, religion and politics have always been uneasy bedfellows. Uh, but I've seen over the last 30 years, many, pe- many people of faith, both on the left and the right, have moved from kind of a cautious engagement with politics to what today is kind of a wholehearted marriage of faith hmm. and partisan politics. And by becoming passionate, active, and vocal participants, I don't think a lot of Christians realize how they've made themselves vulnerable to the toxicities in the political process. It's a, it's a polluting environment. And, you know, that kind of leads us to our, our third principle, 
And this is the one that actually troubles me the most and the one that probably more than anything else made me feel like I needed to think through and speak more clearly on this subject. And that is that Jesus is, looks at the religious leaders of his day and they ask him, what is the greatest commandment? Now, the Pharisees and the scribes and all of those religious leaders, like good lawyers do, had taken the Ten Commandments and the Levitical law and had turned it into hundreds of detailed law regulations yeah. that mm-hmm. were either not understood by the people or, or wrongly applied. And Jesus summarized the whole law by saying, here is the summary of the whole law. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, in that one teaching, we learned that love is what should characterize all of our relationships, all of our behavior, and all of our attitudes. And here's the exciting news. This includes politics. You know, one unfortunate byproduct of the idea of a culture war is that the war metaphor has been used to ex- excuse all sorts of unchristlike behavior and attitudes. I mean, after all, in a war, you kill your enemies. But <laughs> Jesus taught us to love even our enemies and to love our neighbor as ourselves. It's hmm. the most important corrective word that I would bring into the political context today. Uh, you know, I, I live on Orcas Island, which Island Magazine called one of the top ten islands in the world to call home. Only non-Caribbean island on the list. Beautiful, <laughs> beautiful place. Only about 5,000 of us live here year-round. Uh, it's where the orca whales are in the summer. I'm looking out right now, and I can see not only East Sound, which is the longest fjord in the United States, but I can also look across and see Canada. I mean, I live in a beautiful place, and what's really beautiful about this place is the people, a lot of artists and creatives and interesting, interesting folks. Well, nestled on this little island of 5,000 people is a church called Orcas Island Community Church, and it's a genuine community church. By that, I mean uh, we represent the full island. There's, you know, a few hundred people in this church, and we are... uh, very, very diverse. Uh, we have, you know, rich and poor. We have highly educated. We have self-educated. And politically, we have the full spectrum, Democrats, wow. Republicans, the, the whole the whole shooting match. And Great. we've always been able to get along. <laughs> but in this political environment, mm. I have seen a level of hostility that I, I, I haven't really been able to fathom. And mm. it's almost as if people on both sides want to see our church become a wholly owned subsidiary of their political party and of their oh. viewpoint. It's yeah. almost as if it's not enough to say, you know, I want to advocate my viewpoint. It's not only that I've got to be right and you've got to be wrong, but you're not only wrong, you're evil. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you agree with yeah. me. And, yeah. you know, that is such evidence of a lack of love Hmm. and you know if we can't pull off love in the christian community then how do we expect love to be the pervasive force in american life and culture 
you know, at, at the end of the Civil War, which, is, I, as I mentioned, was the most divisive period in American history, Abraham Lincoln uh, made his second inaugural speech, and the whole speech was aimed towards trying to bring together people who really had disagreed with each other. He said, look, you read the same Bible, you pray to the same God, and we were on opposite sides of this war. And now the only way for us to come together is to put aside our malice and to find Mm. a way to be charitable towards one another Mm. and to repair the breach. I think that's a very, very timely word Mm. for us today. Amen. Wow. I'm uh, fascinated by um, your your fourth point, where you talk about God's word, but not just God's word, but the interpretation aspect of God's word. Talk, talk to us about that. Well, I want to be very careful about what I say here. I mean, my my fourth principle is God's word is authoritative, but our interpretation of God's word is not. And if you read Mark chapter 12, you'll see that in five stories, in all five of the stories, Jesus is essentially revealing that the world's greatest students and teachers of the Bible had read scripture selectively and sometimes wrongly. And I think that ought to be a cautionary word for us today. You know, they really, they really didn't understand what God was up to. All of the Jewish leaders of that day, all the religious people of that day, expected the Messiah to come and bring about Israel's reign and overthrow the Roman government in Jerusalem. And they were all shocked when that didn't happen. And they were all wrong. The Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. And Jesus looked at them and said, you are badly mistaken. (laughs) (laughs) They had misinterpreted the law. You know, you Mm -hmm. go story after story. And the cautionary word for us today is is twofold as it relates to God's word. First of Mm -hmm. all, we have to acknowledge that in a theocracy, God's word is the only rule of law. But in our democracy, our Constitution and Bill of Rights are the rule of law. They're informed by, shaped by, inspired mm-hmm. in many ways by, by the Scripture, along with the Enlightenment. But I know Randall Balmer's been on your show recently. He's written mm-hmm. about this. The great book called American Gospel by John Meacham that makes the same point. The separation that is distinguished that allows us to have free expression of religion but also allows our government to not establish a religion, is what gives all of us the freedom to advocate our views. Uh, And and yet it is the rule of law and the Constitution and Bill of Rights that are the ultimate authority in our our culture and in our government, not, not Scripture. But secondly, those of us that believe biblical values are what should in fact reign on earth and will in fact reign in the kingdom of God, we have to recognize that our passion and certainty about our rightness on these issues that we face mm-hmm. today is often fueled by our confidence that God's word is trust, trustworthy, inspired, and authoritative. And it is. 
But we often fail to make the distinction between God's word and our interpretation of it. You know, Hmm. God's word is authoritative, but my understanding and interpretation of it is not. I mean, face it, in the Civil War, there were Christians in the South that absolutely believed that the Bible taught the inferiority of the black person. That's right. And they, they interpreted scripture. They had Bible verses. They applied it, and they were wrong. And we can see that clearly in retrospect. But I wonder if when we look at the complicated issues that we're facing today, if we're willing to admit that the Bible may speak in ways different than, than our understanding of the Bible. And it means that we have to listen and learn from Scripture. We have to listen and learn to each other in order to discern the truth. It means that at times we're going to disagree, but it also means because of the law of love, we're going to disagree in ways that aren't disagreeable. So it's a fine line. I don't want people to think I don't, you know, there are certain things that Scripture I think is very, very clear about. But when you get into issues that we're facing today and the complexity of those issues, the Bible may speak in princi- in, with principles that we can apply today. But we have to be very, very careful about yeah. you know, taking the position that my way of viewing this issue is the only way to view this issue. You know, Most yeah. issues have shadings of gray, and we need to learn to accept that, especially among our fellow believers. We don't want to get to a place where we say, if you don't agree with my political position and the policy that I advocate on this issue, then you really can't be a Christian. I mean, that's, 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 that is hmm. not where God wants us to end up in our, in our advocacy of the authority of Scripture. Yes, for sure. Well, is, there's also the, uh, the aspect, isn't it, Dick, that uh, uh, we can't expect – people who are not Christians who don't recognize the authority of the Bible to accept it as being an authority. In That's absolutely true. And, uh, and we have to accept the fact that we're living in a culture we always have. I mean, even in the, the earliest days among the Puritans, actual church membership was very low. I mean, there's, huh. <laughs> you really? know, there have always been, people who did not believe. There have always been people who mm-hmm. did not think the Bible was authoritative. We've always had to live in a, in a culture of disbelief, and that's, that's more true than ever, which kind of leads me to the final point. You know, I've said that the first principle is Jesus is our sure foundation. Secondly, our obligations to God and government are separate but not equal. Thirdly, love guides all our Christian actions and attitudes. Fourth, God's word is authoritative. Our interpretation is not. But the final thing that we see in Mark chapter 12 is that God absolutely detests self-righteousness and arrogance. Hmm. You know, in in Jesus' day, he talks about the scribes. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplace. They want to have the most important seats and places of honors at banquets. They like to make show of their lengthy prayers. And I think sometimes we don't realize that in our passion for the faith and for our biblical beliefs, that sometimes we are viewed as arrogant, prideful. And Jesus saw that in the religious people in his day. 
And he said, yeah. look, these misguided, arrogant, prideful religionists, they're going to be severely punished. There's no room for arrogance, pride, or self-righteousness based on our religious or political affiliations because they're all imperfect institutions. They're created and run by humans who are fallen, flawed, just like us. And mm-hmm. that's true of every part of the political spectrum. You know, whatever political affiliation you have, trust me, there are people in that group that are as badly flawed and fallen as, as, oh. as there are in the other party, you know? Yep. And yep. We, we have to accept a certain level of humility. We have to abandon self-righteousness and smugness. And I, I just, my heart breaks for lost people in our culture today. Because they see the level of passion and sometimes even hostility. They hear the hostile talk of Christians who have been called to love their enemies. They see our pride and arrogance. And when they see all of that, they're not seeing Jesus, who made himself of no reputation, took Hmm. upon him the form of a servant, didn't own a home, (laughs) didn't, didn't make money his primary obligation or responsibility or passion. As a matter of fact, you said you can't serve God and money. You know, you have to make some choices. Yeah. Bob Dylan said, you got to serve somebody. Everybody's got to serve somebody. <laughs> so, you know, the nice thing though about, about Mark chapter 12 is that Jesus ends with a positive example of what he thinks we should aspire to. And, and I call her a humble practitioner uh, he tells the story of the, the humble widow who basically took the only two coins she had, two pennies, and gave it all in the offering. And her, she is the only person in that entire chapter that Jesus commends. Hmm. She was sacrificial. Priority was God and his kingdom. And I think it reminds me of Mother Teresa. You know, hmm. It's been said of her that she did more for Christian witness in the 20th century than every theology department and political action committee put together. And that I think is our way forward, John, you know, out of the hostility and polarity of, of, of hostile, you know, polarized political environment. I think if we practice our faith with humility, Mm. if Mm. we allow ourselves to seek justice, to walk humbly, to love kindness, uh, to love our neighbor as ourselves, the practice, daily practice of our faith, is a way forward. It's, it's, in my view, it's a way that we can transcend the pride and arrogance and sometimes ignorance of political and religious toxicity in our culture. Find wow. our way back to following Jesus. Have you seen Jesus, my Lord? He's there in plain view. <laughs> Yep. Open your eyes. He'll show it to you. Yep. And part of, part of that will be showing it through us. And we've got a big job to do, it sounds like to me, because uh, there's not a whole lot of, of people who are, who are able to pull together uh, loving both sides right now. And, it's uh, very difficult to do. You know, I've spent my life yeah. since the 60s trying to uh, facilitate conversations with people that disagree with each other. And I've tried to build bridges. 
and it is becoming more and more difficult. And I, you know, I I I have to pray earnestly before I enter into conversation with even some of my dearest friends because yeah. of their level of. Well, I, one friend sent me an email, and I'm not going to tell you who it is, but he's actually fairly well known. And he sent me a, a an email about how in despair he was about situations. And I sent him an email back and I said, you know, as I read your email, I, I visualize somebody whose head is about to blow off his neck. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he was at that level of, of, you know, anxiety and, and hostility towards, you know, the way things are in the world today. And mm-hmm. I think we all have to step back, trust in the providence of God, realize that in the overview of American history, We've been polarized, and we've reached near disaster in the past, but somehow we've survived it. You know, often ages of great religious crisis have been followed by renewal, and Christianity has actually found its way forward. Uh, G.K. Chesterton said one time, time and again the faith has to all appearances gone to the dogs, but each time it was the dog, not the faith, that died. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and so I, I, I want to, you know, leave your your listeners and you, John, on a hopeful note that I think the Christian faith survives in every generation, and I think it usually does so because mm-hmm. of the humble lives and faithful practices of everyday Christians. People who have learned the essence of the matter is to fear God, mm-hmm. keep his commandments, love the Lord their God, love them neighbors as themselves. Mm. Be humble practitioners of faith. Wow. Dick, this is so good. So good. I can't believe it. And you got it all in in a half an hour. (laughs) Uh, Will you you promise to come back sometime and talk to us about Christians in the arts? I'd be glad to. Uh, This is so helpful. I want to thank you so much and uh, just what we needed in this hour. So, uh, Well, John, I really appreciate what you're doing. I appreciate you and your calling to be faithful and to help people understand how to live out faith in everyday life. And right. my prayer is, is that we head into this election, we'll all be able to take a deep breath, trust in the providence of God, uh, put our heads down, live the life that we're called to live, and learn how to transcend the toxicity of our age and be a loving, transforming presence in the culture. Amen. Amen, Dick. Thank you so much. I wish you well. Stay stay healthy. And uh, we'll talk to you soon, my friend. Thanks a lot, John. Okay, thank you. God bless. Uh, how about that, uh, a lot out there. I encourage you to uh, go back and and listen to this again. Maybe get some friends together and listen to it. This is a message that is so needed right now um, because we have a big job to do. We we are we are people in the middle, and uh, we are the ones. We are going to stand for the truth and and love, uh, as Dick talked about, as he so beautifully illustrated through Mark, Mark twelve, 
So I'm going to go look at Mark 12 again. This is great. So thanks to our guest. Thanks to all of you for listening. And uh, we're, we're just we're just rolling on here. We've got some great guests coming up. Oz Guinness in, in a couple weeks. Um, yeah, it's uh, very exciting. So hang in and uh, pray and be patient and be a humble practitioner. I love that. I'm going to think a lot about that widow's mic. The other thing I like about the widow's mic, she gave. She gave. She only had two pennies, and she gave. And, uh, uh, boy, that that really teaches me because I have a tendency to say, well, I don't have enough to give. And when I get enough money, then I'll give. And uh, i got to get over that. We all got to get over that and start giving across the board. Okay, guys, we will see you next week okay god bless take care stay well